It all comes back to that fundamental wanderlust uh, of always wanting to see more. And I, you know, as you can tell by now, I've experienced a lifetime in you know, just the first few years of my career. And I, it, that gave me the ability to uh, tease the, 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 the passion that I have for learning new things, seeing new things, meeting new people. Uh, and I have a passion for that. Uh, and uh, I also get bored fairly easily because I, I just... I I always want to be uh, uh, seeing what's next. Good day, everyone. David Schwab here, Beyond High Street. Hope everyone's having a good summer so far. Today's pod is with Joe Flannery. Joe, college friend, same era at Miami, early 1990s. Um, Joe is the SVP general manager of Tech Apparel Newell Brands. His story is great. Uh, get an internship through his work on Musef back on campus in Miami in the early 90s. Uh, and the person who he was working for told him to go figure out a place where they should invest. And after hitting the trade show booths and conferences, he found a business uh, that had to do with brakes on roller braids and got a job. They invested, got a job, moved out to Boulder. That business ultimately bought by the Bauer and the Nikes of the world. And Really, the rest is history. From there, has gone on to Adidas and North Face and a number of other brands. But the story of learning and getting after it, even when college uh, to where he is now and talking about living in Montreal, French-speaking and Germany, German-speaking, and the importance of language and leaning in uh, and being part of culture, I think it's an important lessons for students, but also anybody in the business world. We started the conversation, uh, Joe, talking about the difference between living in Sonoma and growing up in Middletown, Ohio. Enjoy the pod. Middletown, Ohio, you know, is kind of where my, my heart and my soul, uh, you know, I was born there and raised there during the good days. And uh, it's better known today as the subject matter of the hillbilly elegy. Uh, it's evolved more than, you know, most towns that I've uh, ever lived in since then. And, uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a, a spirit that you can't kill, but man, uh, have there been economic challenges and problems with the opioid e- epidemic. And I think from, you know, the, the challenges that I now see on social media or read in the news or read in the book of the hillbilly allergy to, you know, living in Sonoma County in San Francisco, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you can have a more uh, a stark contrast. Um, and, uh, and candidly, it was uh, opportunities that I was given uh, as a young boy and going to Miami University's uh, branch campus in Middletown, Ohio, to take AP classes because my high school, Middletown High School, was right across the street. And I literally would would walk over uh, to the branch campus to take uh, computer classes, math classes, and science classes because uh, they were complementing some of the high school's curriculum. Uh, and that was my first experience with Miami. And then, yeah, when I got to Miami, uh, met a lot of amazing people that uh, mentored me, that gave me opportunity uh, after graduating from Oxford. I mean, did you know of Sonoma? Did you know of Banff, which we'll talk about here in a second? Or, but growing up in Middletown, I mean, I only knew it from I was in Washington D.C. And, and coming to Oxford, so I, I went the other way, right from 
from bigger to small. So can you can you even think back to when you're 16 or 17 or walking next door and taking some of those college camps or classes, even in high school, what you knew of the outside world? Yeah, you know, my, 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 the only uh, experience that I had with the outside world came in the stories from my parents. And uh, both my parents uh, came from immigrant families uh, raised in the New York area. And my, my, my mom was raised in Newark and my dad was raised in the Bronx. And, you know, uh, you know similar to you, you know, when, you're, when you're raised in a big city, you get exposure to people from, uh, you know, all walks of life. And, and so my parents, uh, even though they, they moved, from New York uh, with the intent of raising the family in Ohio in a place that had good education and, and, and you know, affordable lifestyle, uh, they knew that there was a bigger wor- world out there. So they, they we, tr- we traveled uh, a ton and, and studied a lot. And, you know, my, my mom, uh, who actually used to be a nun, uh, raised my sister and I to, to go to the local church and temple and mosque. She really wanted us to learn about religion uh, through uh, the, the, the temple's and churches and the mosques around and, and not have it be um, uh, inherited that religion should be chosen. And then my dad, being a classic guy from the Bronx, uh, had all kinds of friends from all around the world. So he uh, was an adventurer who, you know, was that generation that came out of World War II and put the whole family in the back, in the back of the station wagon and drove to the towns and the parks and the <laughs> amusements all over the place. And so they were the ones that really inspired this uh, both academic and adventure wanderlust uh, in me, and I, I, I still have it. You know, I'm, I'm 47 years old and, and still always want to see what's around the next corner. Speaking of 47 and gulp, I'm 46. But So that's 93, class, and I'm 94. So you, got, you just hit your 25th anniversary this year. That's right. Thinking back, I mean, what do you – give me a couple things that you remember from Miami, and it could be a, a class, a friend, something you learned – what what when you have that moment or that memory do you always go back to? You know what it it's uh, you know, freshman year walking into the dorm room. Uh, you know that that is such a transformative experience. I think for any. Um, any young person to uh, it's a reset button. You know, you've, you, what you've done in, in your town for me, Middletown, Ohio, you know, was my entire life. And uh, it was an opportunity to reflect in the back to say, okay, who do I want to be next? Who do I, who I want to be in the, you know, going forward. And, you know, there were some things that I, you know, wanted to, to wanted to do and, and accomplish. And, you know, uh, being around people, my roommate was, uh, from Cincinnati, our neighbors were from Chicago. They down the hall. Uh, they were for, from Cleveland and and in uh, uh, Indianapolis, and just starting to figure out that life was more than that of just Middletown, Ohio, and use the university for everything that it's built for, which is to uh, inspire young minds to, to to figure out the rest of their life. And and to me, I just I just ate it up. I just I remember going to meeting after meeting and club. After after club and class after class and trying to 
stitched together, you know, this vision of who I wanted to become. And it was, uh, you know, it was a way for uh, me to do it in a safe environment, uh, uh, in a beautiful environment. I remember going out to the quads uh, to study and to play games and to meet friends. And I think I was a student at Porter uh, in South Quad. And, uh, man, it doesn't look like it does now with the big athletic facility that they have down there. But, uh, man, that, that, that first week of school uh, was just, it's just uh, indelible in my mind. What was the, the piece of technology that you brought freshman year? From, <laughs> I, had a, I had a brother worth word processor. What was your? Yeah, <laughs> I had a Commodore sixty four. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a Commodore sixty four with a soft floppy disk drive, uh, and uh, I had not, uh, I had not signed up for AOL yet, and my neighbor, uh, David Knuffel, had some fancier computer that was operating off of AOL uh, and getting emails and 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 web updates, and I thought. It was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> well, that was before the classes had it. So if you were a student, that's right. Oh yeah, well, well before that. <laughs> All right. So you 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 spend time at Miami for four years. Always the best four years of our lives for sure, and five for many, of course. What what's the first <laughs> job leaving school? You know what? Uh, I, I had a I had a break that happened freshman year. I, I, I joined uh, the Miami University Student Foundation (MUSEF), and they had a program uh, called an externship program, uh, where they uh, paired alumni uh, with students. Uh, and I was interested in uh, you know many different things, but sports and international business, uh, and got paired uh, with a guy by the name of John Jelinek and. Uh, you know, Jill Jelinek was a student uh, that was my age, uh, and her father was a, an entrepreneur in Chicago. And uh, throughout college, uh, after that externship, I ended up doing internships working for him uh, all throughout college. And uh, John and his investment group owned uh, a bunch of sporting goods companies. And I thought, yeah, man, that's the best thing in the world, that if I could work in international business in the sports field, uh, I could make uh, my passion with my with my career, uh, and uh, worked uh, for John throughout college, and then after college, John uh, or as I was about to graduate, John said, "Hey, find something for us to invest in," and uh, I found a small startup in Boulder, Colorado, that had a patent uh, patented technology for rollerblades. It was a braking system for rollerblades. It allowed uh, skiers to dry land train in the summertime when there was no snow to run gates and have speed control. And John, because they had a patented technology and rollerblading was about to be huge, thought it was a great investment. So I actually uh, moved from Oxford and drove straight out to Boulder, Colorado to work in sales and marketing for this rollerblade braking company. Uh, and that was one of the, you know, my first experiences was living in a very different world than Oxford, Ohio, Boulder, Colorado, up in the mountains. How did you find that company? 
You know what? I went, uh, John's office was in Highland Park, Illinois, just north of Chicago. And I remember that summer before graduation working for John and the, uh, the super show, I think it was called, was a sporting goods convention that was held at McCormick Place every year. Uh, and when we were having the conversation about finding something to invest in, you know, one of the things that he taught me was you go to trade shows and you walk around and meet people. And literally as a, you know, just as a, a, a young lad, I went down to the trade show, bought a badge and started looking for startups and talking to people. And I found this uh, inventor who had the patent on the technology, but was admittedly not a, a spectacular uh, a, a business guy who was looking for investment and looking for some people to help run the company and literally met him at a trade show. Mm. And how, how big of a company was it then? Oh, it was a startup. I mean, it was a, it was a pre-revenue uh, a, a company that he had, a, he had a prototype. He had a very rudimentary prototype. Uh, but the value of the business was this patent. It was defendable. Uh, and it was, it was and, the, and the product worked. Uh, you know, if, if anything, the product worked almost too well. You, you, it, you had to be an incredible athlete to, that understood uh, speed control uh, to be able to use it. And the premise was is that if you could get it onto the U.S. ski team so they could do dry land training uh, uh, in the summertime, uh, uh, you know, it would it, it impact their skiing uh, days or their number of days on the mountain. Uh, uh, and eventually you would grow the company by taking it to the average consumer as just a stopping device or a braking device. Uh, and, uh, you know, it worked great for the U.S. ski team athletes, but it didn't work so great for the novices that had never been on skates before. But we were able to get out of the business within a couple of years by selling the company to what's better known as Bauer Hockey. Uh, and uh, the company at that point in time was called Canstar Sports, based up in Montreal. And uh, I, I go with the acquisition to, to Canstar Sports and living in now my first country abroad, Montreal, uh, which uh, is one of the world's great cities and one of the world's great cultures. And I played uh, uh, fraternity hockey in college and had a lot of friends that were on the club team and on the varsity team. So I loved hockey and uh, just got into that uh, job as a product manager at uh, for, for the Bauer hockey brand when Nike came along a year later and bought Canstar Sports. So within about two years, I go from pure play startup pre-revenue to, uh, to working for Nike. So go back. That's unbelievable in a quick period of time. Go go back to two things you said. One, you said you got a break. I would say it's not necessarily a break. I mean, you, you created it by going and signing up for Musef or jo joining a club. So maybe you found the right person in there, which is a break. But you still have to take the initiative to go do that. What do you? But what do you also remember about it? Working for a pre-revenue company for two years. The challenges, or is there a, one particular lesson that you, you you share to others? Because as you know, there's now tens of thousands of pre-revenue companies that you feel like are launching, or you're reading about on Crunchbase every day. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of my favorite things uh, about my experience is that I, I, may, I remember getting the keys from the landlord of our uh, first office. 
uh, and it, it, and it was a shell. And uh, you know, I had, along with the three others that were in the company, I think there were a total of four of us at the at the time. Uh, we had to do everything. You know, we had to clean the carpet. We had to ship the product. We had to manufacture. You know, uh, we got the parts from Germany and from China and put them all together. Uh, you know, when we were we were working from seven in the morning until nine o'clock at night and we would take a break for lunch and dinner. Uh, and it was one of the most rewarding things ever because I, you know, I, I learned, uh, literally, you know, how to maintain the facility just by keeping it clean. I learned how to deal with, uh, the landlord. I learned how to deal with freight forwarders with products coming from multiple countries. I had to, uh, figure out how to do the uh, bills of lading when shipping products abroad. Le- had to figure out how to read the, you know, the financial statements and prepare investor decks. Uh, I learned how to uh, sell. You know, I, uh, there was a Ford Econoline van that we had the logo on that I would drive for months around the country doing demos and uh, demos to consumers and demos to retailers and uh, learned how to deal with consumer complaints and with uh, uh, warranty issues. And, uh, you, you know, you had four people that you, know, you had an expert in, or quote unquote an expert and people that were hoping to be experts in sales, marketing, and product, and operations, and in finance. And, and yet, you, you, we, we had to do each other's job all the time. So it was just the, it was a one-on-one in business. Uh, and it, we, we were challenged every day with something new. And the four of us literally had to sit around the table and figure out, you know, how we would figure this out. And uh, it was a fundamental building blocks of uh, learning business, which then, uh, you know, I, I, I compare and contrast that to people who went directly into Procter & Gamble or IBM or other companies at the day that were hiring a lot from Miami. And, uh, you know, so many people after 10, 15, 20, 30 years have decided that uh, they want to do a startup, but they don't even know where to start. And they just didn't have the fundamental building blocks of business taught to them uh, by those larger institutions because they were just doing a sales job or a brand management job. Uh, and so to have that education directly out of college uh, was incredible. I, I remember going to a, a breakfast restaurant that I don't know if it's still in Oxford. It's just uh, on the road between Oxford and Indiana called, uh, I think, Phillips 64 or Phillips 66 or something like that. It was a greasy spoon uh, a breakfast restaurant. And I had uh, uh, two professors, Dr. Tom Boyd and Dr. Dr. Altman, uh, that were advising me on on the different job offers that I had. And I remember talking to them about the startup job offer, and they said, you know, what do you have to lose? Will your parents still provide, you know, a roof over your head? You know, will they still you know, help pay for you to eat if this completely fails because the majority of startups completely fail? And I said, yeah, they would support me and still welcome me back into their home in Middletown, Ohio. Then they said, then what do you have to lose? Uh, and it was that it was that breakfast that I remember vividly at that restaurant that gave me that that ability to say, you know what, you know, I'm not going to take that job offer from P and G. I'm actually going to go out to Boulder, Colorado, and run a rollerblade startup company. Well, it was Philip '66, and I loved that greasy yeah. spoon too. <laughs> and, and both those guys, Dr. Boyd, I remember going back in my 20s and teaching uh, or guest lecturing at some of his classes, and Dr. Altman taught my favorite class at Miami, which was Entrepreneurship 467. I love that right. class. 
Yeah, you know what? And I, I still stay in touch with both of them today. John's living in, in, in outside of Reno, and Dr. Boyd just retired uh, as the uh, the dean of the business school at, uh, uh, at Kaplan University. Uh, and I've, I've maintained a relationship with them throughout all these years. That's awesome. So you're in Montreal. You're now working for Big Boys Nike. And now I'm going to kind of cut through this a little bit and weave, but the last 20 years you've been in and around the apparel space, right? And, or, yeah, yeah. And, and so I guess what was the jump from, I mean, Nike certainly is there, but you were, you were there from the, the rollerblading or the braking <laughs> perspective. What was the jump into apparel? And then I guess almost why from organization to organization as you've uh, gone to different brands throughout the career? Yeah, you know what the uh, the it all comes back to that fundamental wonderlust uh, of always wanting to see more. And uh, yeah, as you can tell by now, I've experienced a lifetime and you know just the first few years of my career, and I it, that gave me the ability to uh, tease the, the 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 passion that I have for learning new things, seeing new things, meeting new people, uh, and I have a passion for that. Uh, and uh, I also get bored. Fairly easily because I, I just I always want to be uh, uh, seeing what's next, uh, and that that's a fundamental core of who I am, uh, and I've used my career to be able to achieve that. Uh, the integration of, of Bauer into Nike was was uh, it goes down in the history books as being a failure, and and many of us knew at the time it was not looking pretty. Uh, the cultures were radically different, uh, and it, it, I think as a lot of uh, attributes of the Nike culture were forced onto the Bauer culture, it wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, there was also a, uh, a do-not-hire policy. If all of the people at Bauer could get jobs at Nike, I think at the time they would all move to Portland, Oregon to work for Nike, and there was a kind of a, 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 a 12-month uh, hands-off uh, hiring policy. And then I got a call from a recruiter from Adidas. Uh, and that recruiter from Adidas said, "Hey, you know, we we saw that, you know, you speak a little bit bit of German. I studied at the University of Heidelberg program while at Miami and spoke very fundamental uh, German and studied and had a minor in German. Uh, and uh, because the Nike guys weren't hiring, the Adidas guys were. I said, hey, yeah, similar business, similar big sports brand. Let's go for it. Uh, and uh, you know, spent ten years in a company uh, that." promoted um, uh, uh, learning and talent, uh, and they did that by having rotational jobs. Uh, and so I moved into the footwear side of uh, product management at, at Adidas. Uh, eventually ended up moving out to their global headquarters in Herzogenaurach, Germany, uh, and decided to be one of the you know, one of the first employees from America to go and live in Bavaria. Uh, and for ten years, uh, uh, worked in different jobs from footwear product management, apparel product management, into sales, uh, into strategy and had an incredible career as the company grew and eventually ended up leading uh, their fashion division or uh, what is better known as their originals division, which today 
is the division behind the majority of the growth of the company with their partnerships and collaborations with uh, people like Kanye West. And uh, I had the privilege at the time to manage the relationship with Muhammad Ali, uh, with Missy Elliott, with Run DMC, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, creating uh, off-the-court and off-the-field fashion products for a a new division of the company, which was absolutely spectacular. Um, Unfortunately, my father uh, fell ill uh, with Alzheimer's and had uh, moved out to the West Coast of America. And at the time in that job, I was spending more time in the air than on the ground managing teams from New York to London to Amsterdam to Tokyo and, and in Bavaria uh, and just really felt the, the, the drive and the need to be closer to family. Uh, and I had asked permission, uh, labor laws in Europe. I had a big contract with Adidas and uh, they, they have non-competes and hold people to them and ask them uh, if I could uh, get out of my contract because of my family situation. And, and they gave me the, the support to still work and have the job while I was looking for another job in California where my family had relo- relocated. And uh, just the, their graciousness during that period of time, I'll, I'll never forget. And, and uh, so I was able to get a job as the head of marketing uh, at a brand that had recently just ca- came out of uh, bankruptcy called the North Face. Uh, and uh, ironically, I'd never had just a marketing job in my life. I had a GM jobs and uh, business unit jobs where I manage marketing employees. But um, as a person with Wonderlust to uh, to go to a business uh, in the outdoor product space, and I was a scout growing up in Middletown, Ohio, uh, there seemed to be nothing more uh, exciting. The North Face at the time was sponsoring more international expeditions than the National Geographic Society. So to be the head of marketing and the head of the expedition team and move to California where I could be closer to family uh, was uh, was a pretty cool opportunity, and uh, and that led my uh, my move out to the the West Coast. Interesting. I mean, it, it, it's it's a straight line, and there's a lot of zigzags in there too. I oh. the the. Uh, what was more challenging, Montreal and the French language, or Germany and German, in terms of just interaction? You know, good question. You know, I, I probably equal. Um, I, I, I find that you know you're either a person that that leans into the challenge. Uh, and if you're a person that makes an effort, especially with languages, if you make an effort to be a part of the culture, to speak the language, uh, or at least to try, uh, I, I, I've been in the, you know, in, in, in the middle of Africa traveling and not able to communicate, but just because I was able to try, uh, the human aspect that we all have of humanity and decency comes out. And, uh, you know, I was managing the production of rollerblades in a factory an hour and a half north of uh, Montreal for part of my uh, job at Bauer. And uh, I remember people not necessarily being super happy about Americans. And this was at a time when Quebec was trying to secede from the country of Canada and and foreigners were not highly welcomed. And, and, and I loved it. I, I, I had a blast, but I played hockey and I ski raced and you know i go out with you know for beers with people at the factory and i got along great and the same thing happened when i was over in germany uh uh so i think uh, the experience for me uh, I, there's i uh, 
I just love travel and going all over the world. And I don't, it, I, I can't think of one particular culture that I've ever really had a challenge with, because uh, it's almost a, it's almost a challenge for me to figure out how to get 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 on with people and to to make the best of uh, those types of experiences. Another Miami alum like us, Rachel Rudwall, who's a, I guess I'd call her a travel influencer, host, producer. Um, she's, she was on the pod a month ago and she travels, I don't know, 250 days a year and hosts shows on Nat Geo and other places and probably hits 70 countries a year. She said the same thing. She said, just lean in, just, just try a little bit and you'll, you will appreciate or the appreciation from the other side is to your words, humanity. And, uh, that's, she calls it life lesson. Number one, just lean in with culture. That's right. That is exactly. And I've got got examples where I've been traveling, doing just that, and someone next to me was doing the exact opposite, and then their trip did not turn out nearly as well as mine. So we're talking now. I fast forward to almost present day, back to the very beginning of Middletown to Sonoma. You've been in Sonoma for a few years, and most recently now, GM and SVP at Newell Brands. What's what's that day to day like? <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, Newell Brands is uh, is a, a a big fortune. I think it, uh, maybe two hundred uh, company. It's a recent integration of uh, two eight billion dollar uh, consumer durable good uh, companies. One Jarden and two uh, Newell Rubbermaid. Uh, the two merged about uh, two and a half years ago, and literally, I, I was offered the job uh, from Jarden, and while I was on a, a gap vacation, uh, I saw that uh, uh, the businesses were merging, uh, and my first paycheck was from uh, Newell Brands. Uh, <laughs> all of this happening, I, I think I started in January of 2016, uh, 2016, uh, also known in the retail world as the beginning of the retail apocalypse. Uh, you know, so this, the timing of this job has been quite interesting. Uh, the merger of Jordan and Newell Rubbermaid, the beginning of the retail apocalypse, the disruption happening in the marketplace from forces like Amazon uh, coming back into a space after four years uh, in the travel uh, industry, working in a private equity uh, assignment, uh, has been uh, has been challenging to say to say the least. Uh, trying to figure out how to take uh, our house of brands, which are Marmot, Ex Officio, which is a travel apparel company, uh, and Coleman, uh, and grow them, uh, grow them while uh, retail. Is contracting, uh, consumer is buying differently. The shared economy is having impact on high uh, uh, expensive equipment purchases. Um, has is an incredible challenge that I that I love, uh, but the challenges are different. Uh, it's trying to figure out how not to be disrupted by the macroeconomic forces while uh, growing the business within a new parent company, one that uh, has recently been under a uh, a proxy battle on Wall Street. Uh, and, and has just thrown more challenges at leadership than I think I've seen in the past two years. But that, that's the... Um that's the reality of retail today. Retail, whether or not you're selling uh, uh, 
uh, diapers, soap, uh, bicycles, or rollerblades to consumers is uh, is, is is very very challenging, and it it uh, makes executives uh, focus on fundamentals. And at the end of the day, uh, people do not need more coolers or waterproof breathable jackets. Uh, those are uh, discretionary products that uh, people buy when they desire to own them. Uh, and I think it's more important than ever before for leadership to uh, and employees and companies to recognize how to surpass the expectations uh, of their target uh, customer and, and have, a, have a more intimate relationship with that customer and consumer uh, and to bring innovation and value uh, that that maybe you didn't before in the past. And that, to me, is the fun part, really trying to understand what consumers want and need and desire to have and building innovation into brands. Uh, that's the way to survive. If you're, if you're just uh, making the same product that you've made for 20, 30, 40 years, uh, that doesn't cut it anymore. And um, so the, the, the marketplace challenges are monstrous. <laughs> so it's been, it's been an interesting time to come back into the apparel industry. Thank you, Joe, for taking some time. I learned a lot. I really appreciate you do. I love your talking about wanderlust and leaning in and the thirst for uh, learning and for ideas. Um, really important to hear at all stages of personal and professional careers. Uh, also, Philip 66, great call out, certainly a greasy spoon where we spend time in college and a little props to Dr. Boyd and uh, John Altman, both influential in my life too. So love to see it's uh, spread for many. Really appreciate everyone spending some time on Behind High Street. Please make sure to share with friends and colleagues uh, and let people know. You can check it out on the web, beyondhighstreet.com or via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Catch up to you next week. Don't forget to eat some Skipper's Fries. See ya.